Gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California Inferior. A joy to be with you all once again. And it's a joy for me right here, right now to be speaking with this man right here. He's, he's worn many hats in his time in the professional wrestling business. He's a wrestling historian. He's a documentarian, a commentator, a producer. He is the one. He is the only. He's the incomparable Matt Legit. How are you, sir? I am absolutely wonderful. That is the best introduction I have ever gotten. And let me tell you how wonderful it is. You know, I usually don't do these podcasts. Usually I just do heartbeat radio with my good friend, Bruce Hart. But when I heard that an Australian, let alone a Perthling, wanted me to come on a podcast, I said, I have to do it. Because you know what? Australia holds a a wonderful, dear place in my heart. Let me tell you how much Australia, and especially Perth, Australia, the Perthlings out there, how much I care about them. Let me tell you about my day. Okay, this is how much I care about Australia, how much I love Australia. Let me tell you just what I did today. Okay, today I just sat around in my tracky decks, had some snakes for brekkie, then had a chook chook sandwich for Maccas for lunch. After that, I headed down to the bottle for some tinnies and chalky bickies. Now I'm just enjoying the Arvo and looking looking forward to this just true blue oars cast about professional wrestling. Later, I thought I'd go find a Sheila willing to show me a map of Tazzy. You know, bloody earth, mate, right, right. Oh, and piss on the jacks, mate, piss on the jacks. That is how much I love Australia. Truly, truly. <laughs> Fantastic, bro. Well, it's it's good to have you on the show. I, I, I named a lot of things there. Was there anything missing from that list of, of, of hats that you've worn in pro wrestling? No, I've done everything short of wrestle a match. <laughs> I think so. I've never promoted wrestling. I've never promoted a show. Okay. But I'm probably the best promoter in the Northwest at the same time. Through YouTube, <laughs> through Facebook. I think... Uh, you know, until Darby Allen came around, I think I might have been the most recognized guy in uh, Portland. <laughs> it was weird. I went to uh, I went to the Cauliflower Alley Club, which, uh, you know, I'm familiar yeah. with the Cauliflower Alley Club. I went there a couple of years ago and I couldn't believe it. Like I just kept I was getting recognized by wrestlers. And so that that was that felt good. That felt good. I felt like I finally I had contributed something back to the wrestling business that gave me so much in my childhood. And uh <laughs> Yeah, that felt really good, you know. When Rip, when when Rip Rogers is marking out for you, that's uh, that's when you made it. That's when you made it. <laughs> Excellent, bro. Well, my my experience with Rip Rogers, he uh, he he uh, told me off for calling him uh, on my computer, uh, and it said that it was a spam call. So he thought that I was fucking with him, and uh, he cut a massive promo on me. But uh, <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful, <laughs> a fantastic memory for me. Uh, but you, you mentioned your childhood. You mentioned how much it gave to you during those days. First question, usually Matt on this show is, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? Oh, this is an interesting story. I was three years old and I was sick and I was up late and it was a Saturday night. And when I was a kid, there were not very many channels on the television in the Pacific Northwest. We were kind of the last uh, explored area of the United States of America, right? So even in like the 80s and 90s, people like when you told people you were from Portland, they thought you were from Maine, which is on the other side, northeast of New York, right? And uh, 
So we were real rural and uh, we didn't have a lot of TV. And like, basically I tell people when I was a kid, we had the Portland trailblazers, the basketball team. And, uh, and we had Portland wrestling and that was every Saturday night on channel 12 and three, you know, three-year-old little boy, sick. My dad's just got the wrestling on the TV. Cause it's something to watch while he's up with his son who's sick. And Dave Sierra, who's also known as the Cuban assassin, Fidel Sierra, uh, when he wrestles down in Florida and Puerto Rico up here, he was known as the destroyer, the assassin and top gun. And at that moment in time, he was the assassin. It was the first time I'd ever seen a man wearing a mask and it scared me, but it also like intrigued me and stuck with me forever for my whole life. I still have this memory of seeing this guy and his mask on television and his red cloak. And uh, as time went by, right, of course, then, of course, like you become fascinated with pro wrestling, like any little kid does, you know, once you see it, you either take to it or you don't. Right. And, uh, and I took to it big time. And uh, it was, we were very lucky because professional wrestling, uh, the NWA didn't, like all these other territories were folding. Vince was coming in and they were either shutting down or he's buying them up. But we were kind of the last stop on his path to national dominance. And so we had wrestling on television, local wrestling until December 28th of 1991. And that's very different, I think, than the experience of a lot of people other than in Tennessee. Because, you know, Lawler kept it surviving through the 90s. And uh, so I was able to grow up on that. And guys like, you know, Brian Adams, who was Crush in WWF. Later, he was in Chronic in WCW. You know, I remember when he was like probably a 23 or 24-year-old guy just like getting started here in the business. Um, the American Ninja, Brian Adams. And then he, uh, he lost a loser to leave town match and came back in a hood that was like some Japanese wrestler's hood. I don't know, whatever it was, like maybe it was the Midnight, he was called the Midnight Soldier, which Dusty Rhodes was doing that gimmick too, right? And uh, But we were like so remote that they would use gimmicks that were elsewhere. They would just call guys here that, like uh, <laughs> Dave C, like we, so we had the original Destroyer, Dick Byer here in the 60s early 60s and um then you know 20 years later don owen put the hood on dave sierra and told him to be the destroyer also um we had our own version of a buddha dean a buddha dean was a wrestler in the florida area who was with kevin sullivan down there when he was the taskmaster and all that um and our buddha dean was actually the son of king curtis eokea who a lot of people know from his you know insane forehead but his son, Rocky Yaokea, wrestled quite a bit in Japan, but this was kind of the only place he really wrestled here. But he wrestled as a Buddha Dean, an Arab, and uh, rather than like as a Hawaiian kid. And uh, Scotty the Body, who everybody now knows as Raven, and this is really where he got started. And his run, like this, I think Scotty is a big reason why it, it lasted for longer, because he just, man, what a heel. What an arrogant heel. And he had some great, great angles he did here. Like uh, he had a valet named Ginger and he breaks up with her and breaks her heart. And then he like starts trying to win her back and bringing her chocolate and flowers and then proposes to her on TV. And then they finally are going to do the wedding in the ring and she's in there. And Steve Dahl, one of the Southern rockers who were the big babyface tag team, he's like there as her 
not her best man, but essentially giving her away in the marriage. And all of a sudden, Scotty shows up with like another broad in the crow's nest and cuts a promo on her. About, those flowers I gave you, those chocolates, those were just from some other broad who gave those to me that night. I would never <laughs> marry a skank like you. And it was just so epic. Um, Dave Sierra as uh, as uh, the assassin um, under a hood. And then later, and then like he lost a loser leave town match and then came back under a different hood as Top Gun. And then he sold out and turned heel and he was my favorite wrestler when I was a kid. And oh my God, it broke my heart, bro. <laughs> and uh, he lost that mask already, but then he turned and joined Scotty and they brought in this woman in a fur coat to play Scotty's mom and a uh, top gun sold out to Scotty and mama's money, baby mama's money, mama's money, baby. And uh, all that stuff, I think helped it go for a lot longer. The Billy Jack Haynes, um retirement angle that's a huge thing so like in 1988 after uh billy gets canned by wwf he comes back to portland and he's got like you know a huge stash of cash now from his time in wwf wrestlemania 3 that payoff was huge you know so he's got this money and instead of going back to work for portland wrestling and don owen he starts his own promotion uh called the oregon wrestling federation and uh he starts basically buying the guys away from Don guys that Don had given a home to for, you know, years. And uh, they start going over to Billy cause Billy's paying him a fortune. And, uh, but Billy's also, you know, got an abundance of Coke uh, in the back room and all this. And he opened a gym out and this is all out in Oregon city, which is like 20 minutes outside of Portland. Right. Um, that's where the Oregon trail ended was in Oregon city. And uh, so he's got his, his gym, and he's got his wrestling promotion and like, brother, he doesn't like last four months. I mean, like he just pisses away the money and it's just gone and it's over. And then the gym closes down too. And Billy Jack basically has nothing. And he comes back to Don Owen and Don Owen gives him a job. Wow. And lets him come back and they work this angle that you can see on testosterone overload on YouTube, my channel. Um, this would have been in 1988. You can watch the OW. There's very, they even had like some TV shot for OWF. So you can see what he did. Um, and then he comes back and he's going to retire from wrestling. And Billy Jack's father was a blind man in a wheelchair. And uh, he loved, he wasn't blind his whole life. He went blind, right? And loved professional wrestling. And they work this angle where they've got Billy Jack's dad up in the crow's nest and Billy's there and he's talking about the retirement. And then the grappler comes up, the big bad heel. And the and Lenny, the grappler, was booking the show at the time. And I mean, he, him and Roddy did a phenomenal job. Lenny booked it for a couple of years. And then in, I want to say it was 1990, Roddy came in and Roddy and Lenny booked it together for the year. Um, but that angle in 88 where grappler like starts like, rough housing with billy's blind dad and that makes billy now he can't retire right now he has to defend his father and they do that whole angle and then they do the amazing angle where billy does the heel turn and tells the people of oregon to stick it up their ass and you're all too fat and lazy to come out to my gym that's why i shut down <laughs> and all that stuff was just solid gold solid gold um but times were changing you know and Vince had the money to make a better production. And KPTV used to come out every week and shoot the wrestling show at the Portland Sports Arena with their own production truck. 
So they're going to save a fortune by not doing that. And so it, it was just going to change. And Don Owen was also like another thing that I think people don't realize is like all those promoters were old. These men were like ancient when Vince came in and he's young and full of chutzpah and can, you know, go for days and they are set in their ways. And they've been, you know, Don Owen have been promoting for 50 years at that point. Like he's an mm. 80 year old man. And he was ready to retire anyway. And so, and I know Lenny, uh, the grappler, has talked about how him and Dave and Roddy tried to convince him, like, you, we could keep this going. Like, Vince might be able to, you know, take over the East Coast and the Midwest, but he can't be everywhere at once. And, like, he comes to Portland once a year. And we could have a show here. And this is, that we could do this. But Don Owen was retired and retired, ready to retire. And his son, Barry, who just wanted to work on the farm. He didn't want to be in the wrestling business. And so it went the way of the Buffalo, as we say in the United States. Right. Wow. Nice little history lesson there. I really enjoyed that. I, I, immediately, I just learned a whole heap. And that's what I love most about this show is learning about uh, certain things. So very interesting perspective with uh, Portland being one of the last, uh, I guess, territories to be uh, taken over by, by McMahon. Um, uh, you're a fan all this time. Uh, you've seen some great things. Those angles there, I can't wait to check out on YouTube. Uh, at some point, you, you think to yourself, you want to get into the wrestling business. How does Matt Legit figure out how to, to be involved in the wrestling business at some point? Okay, so Portland Wrestling shuts down. 1991, December of 91. Technically, it was uh, the summer of 92 because they ran for another six months without television. Um, but longtime Portland wrestling referee Sandy Barr takes over promoting. But Sandy doesn't have like good TVs. Got he's on at like two in the morning on Saturdays or something like that. Um, and he's running, but I don't know. There's just like there's no wrestling in my life other than WWF from 1992 through like 1995, 96 at ish. And then I just happened to find out through uh, public access television. You guys have public access down there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so Sandy Barr, this referee who was also, he was a wrestler. He was Danny Sandy Barr, the teenage idol. And uh, he was, uh, he was a, uh, you know, a bit of a trainer too, like Princess Victoria and Velvet McIntyre, uh, who were WWF women's champions in the world uh, tag champs in the eighties. Um, they were trained by, in Portland by Sandy um and so sandy's just kind of running his promotion and sandy has his world famous flea market and does his thing that he does and it's not nearly that same level that portland wrestling was on on like we're running on a nightly basis but i know sandy was also going out into idaho too and running shows and kind of eastern washington and doing stuff and all of a sudden i see it on tv and it's like it's colonel de beers and it's uh Jimmy Snuka and Billy Jack is there. Um, and there's some new guys that, you know, you don't know. Another guy who was uh, pretty popular here was a guy named Bart Sawyer. People don't really know him anywhere out, outside of here. Um, and so I found out they were running just like here locally. And so started going every week to those shows. Like, I think, I think they were maybe a Wednesday night and uh, they were just like a, an indie show. But you had a mix of these old guys who had real experience in the territories 
And then these younger guys who it really sucks because you have like a lot of guys who started getting trained in 90 and 91. And then by 92, it's just like, they got nowhere they can go. Like it, you know, there's just no, there's nowhere to wrestle. And so, but luckily like Sandy's doing these shows. And so there was a referee there who uh, there were two referees. There was a referee named Chad Manning. And there was a referee named Tony Kazinga, who later became Tony Kozina, who's a pretty popular indie wrestler for the last, you know, made a living in indie wrestling for 25 years now. And uh, these two guys were just referees, but like all of a sudden they did an angle where like the referees start having a feud with each other (laughs) and it culminates in them wrestling a match. And like nobody there knew that these guys have been training for a year, right? And these two just like went in there and had like the best match you could ever imagine two referees having. Right. And blew the socks off everybody in the, in the arena. And, uh, and I was like, well, and Tony was like a little guy, like Tony's like five foot five, five foot six. He's not a big dude. And so I was like, well, they let like Tony got in, I'm six foot tall. Like I'm 230 pounds. I'm a full grown, you know, 15 year old kid or whatever. Right. I'm like, well, Tony will be able to tell me. I can ask Tony, and he'll tell me how to get into the wrestling business. And he said, oh, yeah, no problem. So I go up to him, and uh, after his match, I was like, Tony, how did you train? Where did you go? And he's like, oh, I'll just introduce you to Matt Bourne after the show, right? And so because Matt Bourne was the booker uh, at uh, Championship Wrestling USA. You can see all this stuff on Testosterone Overload on YouTube also. Um, And matt you know say yeah come down to sandy's flea market the next week or whatever and we met and talked for an hour or whatever and he told me everything it would take and um he wanted tw- like 2500 bucks that's a lot of money um yeah. and uh i had to go to milwaukee to train which was quite a ways for me at 16 years old to go that's 30 miles um yeah. and uh I wouldn't be able to wrestle until I was 18 because of the state laws. And I was just like, and I was just like barely 16, I think at that time. And cause I remember I was driving, but I like just kind of started driving on my own. Um, it was just like two years before I can wrestle. Like how long does it take to get trained? And he was like, eh, about nine months. I was just like, so it'll be nine months and then I'm ready to wrestle, but I still won't be able to wrestle for another, you know, 15 months. I don't want to do that. And so I was like, well, I, I guess I just have no choice, but to like either do it or wait. And like, my dad's not going to pay 2,500 bucks for it. So I'm going to wait. Well, luckily I did wait because like within the next two, three months, the show folded. Sandy shut down for reasons that that everyone has their own reason. It's very interesting. I've been, this is a sidebar for you, Carl. So, you know, we, I know you're probably going to talk about documentaries like Wrestling with Disaster uh, and things like that. For the last 12 years, I've been shooting interviews with wrestlers in the Northwest and archiving them to make a documentary about what happened to the wrestling business. And my documentary is about what happened from the day Portland Wrestling shut down December 28th to 1991 to today. What went wrong? And uh, so I've been shooting all these interviews with all these people and uh, working toward telling this great story about what happened to wrestling through the lens of the Pacific Northwest and Sandy Barr's promotion. And then the promotion that came after that, that was interesting. 
And then what we can, would consider modern indie wrestling kind of started after that around the year, like, like 2003 to 2004 is when you'd see multiple little Mark promotions kind of pop up where it's like people who are just fans and they bought a ring and the laws had changed now. So they can just pay a couple hundred bucks and get the wrestling license and they got a show. And uh, so I'm trying to tell that story, but I didn't realize what I was getting into. Um, I thought that this was going to be either a, like a two hour documentary or maybe like it would end up being five hours in like five, one hour installments. Well, I edited part one together so far, and it is roughly 10 hours long. And that just covers 1991 through 1998, I want to say. Oh, yeah. And uh, there's a lot more still to go. And uh, so I'm trying to tell like this whole story. And I got off track there and sidetracked so much that I don't know even what we were talking about anymore. <laughs> just how you got involved with the wrestling business. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so I couldn't get involved at that point because I was just like too young. It wasn't worth it. And then they shut down. Yeah. And then there's no wrestling again. And then around the year, I want to say it was at the very end of 1999, very beginning of 2000, um, find out there's another promotion that's running in Portland called Portland Wrestling Total Chaos. And it's got like Bart Sawyer and it's got the grappler and it's got this kid named Bruiser Brian Cox. Um, another guy that started under Sandy was um, Sean Stasiak. And like Stan, that was like those shows with Stan. That was the last time you saw Stan Stasiak. It shows right before he died. And uh, Sean got in there and teamed with this kid, Bruiser Brian, very briefly. And Brian kind of stayed around here and kind of was like almost on the verge of getting a developmental thing with WWE. And uh, then he died uh, at, I want to say, 33, 34. Cocaine, hell of a drug. Um, and so then I had been setting up the, I'd set up the ring for that show. But then again, it just like it disappeared. And then there's no wrestling again. And then finally in 2004, there's a, it's a backyard wrestling show. This is weird. There's this guy named Bob Spiker who went by. He was Dr. Payne's Clinic Wrestling. You can watch this on Testosterone Overload on YouTube. Um, Dr. Payne's Clinic was like a backyard show, but it wasn't like a trashy, violent, in-your-mom's-backyard backyard show. This guy would do bar shows, and he would, like, construct a set in the bar and, like, have the curtains and, like, this whole lighting system and, like, all this stuff. And would try to put on like a sports entertainment version of backyard wrestling. And it drew, bro, it drew like you wouldn't believe. They would pack that bar. And he did something very smart because what he would do is he would get the bar to play Monday Night Raw. And then their show would start right after Raw went off the air. And so he would kind of gleam from WWE like an audience. And, uh, and then very quickly he bought a ring. And, uh, but it was still just like backyard guys mucking about in a ring. And uh, it was never quite, it took him a long time to figure out like the business and that what he was doing wasn't real. And I mean, this dude took himself way too seriously and burnt a lot of bridges in the beginning. And like, uh, and so, but that's where I got in was with that backyard show because I didn't know of any other wrestling. 
And this dude just was a hell of a promoter. Like he, he had, he would give every fan a bumper sticker. And so like when you're driving around, you'd see his red clinic, Dr. Payne's clinic cross with the name. And it was just like, wow, that's smart. And he had the bar advertising it on their board outside. And so he knew how to draw people in. And uh, there was, and then through him, I found out the third version of Portland wrestling under a guy named Frank Colbertson was running. And I, I didn't have a clue and they had TV and everything. Didn't know. Um, and that was so like, that's basically like, and then there was another show that was running called CPW. And there was another show called WCWC. And I kind of found out about all these different indie shows then. And uh, with the Dr. Payne show, I did like maybe seven shows, seven or eight shows. And uh, the dude's ego was so big at the time that it was just like impossible. And now I knew there was like, oh, well, there's an indie show over here. And these guys, like there's some wrestlers whose names I recognize from the old Portland wrestling are there. So that's more legitimate. So I'm going to go there. And so I started as like a commentary guy on Dr. Payne's. And then I started doing... um shooting the videos with some other people at other shows. And then I just started producing the whole production myself and doing the commentary myself. And I would get a partner and we just do the commentary and post-production um, and would just basically had a weekly wrestling show on TV and would just utilize whichever promotion I felt like working with until I got bored. Like in that, that would happen. They would, they would, I don't, it always seemed like I'd show up at a promotion and like, it would be like the probably the best show they had that year or something. And I would be like, God, finally, good, a good show. And then by the seventh or eighth show, I'm just like, yeah, it might be time to find another promotion. Um, and so just kind of worked my way around through that. Um, and then YouTube started. I was like, well, I'm going to put all my stuff. In. And I had another TV show I made uh, at that time called Drinking with Darren, which yep. was um, me and my friend Darren. We just made a show where we go to microbreweries and tour the brewery with the brewmaster. And then they'd have like beers and talk about the beers. And like, basically my friend would get drunk on TV and it was like the best late night show you could imagine. Like Wayne's world with beer kind of. <laughs> um, and so, but I would cross promote the two shows together uh, like in, in the commercials. And then I would have the wrestlers every once in a while come on drinking with Darren and use that to cross promote until it got to the point where like, and this was right before YouTube had started. And so really we didn't have like, you know, advertising a show on MySpace is different than we do on YouTube nowadays, right? Yeah. Like you put up, you make a picture and put it up there, no video <laughs> at all. Um, and so, but dude, it was just like, because I was smart enough to know that like we should be on at like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, midnight, like hit the late night youth market. Cause we were, we were young. We were in our early twenties. Right. Um, just when are we up? When are would we watch TV? Well, Saturday nights is when we used to watch TV. Like everybody used to watch Saturday Night Live. Um, now the world is an entirely different place than then. YouTube changed everything. Um, but it got to the point where like Darren and people like the wrestlers that I would promote, like Buddy Highway from Wrestling with Reality or Wrestling with Disaster. Um, you couldn't go into a bar with them and they, they would get recognized by people. I mean, just everywhere you go, they would get recognized. And so we knew we were doing something right. Um, but eventually, like, eventually kind of drinking with Darren ran his course and Darren wanted to go to college. And so, like, we just shut the show down after a few years. Wrestling, I kind of kept doing. Um, and then Dr. Payne, of all people, the backyard guy that nobody wanted to work with, he gets his shit together. 
and he starts booking like real talent from California and his show kind of becomes a mix of like the backyard guys who are loyal to them. And then like, there's like guys from two different California promotions kind of coming in at the same time. And they're all teaching these young guys. They don't have this, that bias you can find in like indie wrestling. There's a lot of politics, right? But when you bring in guys from an outside area, they don't have anything to do with that. They're just there to have a good time and make a little money and have fun. Um, And so they're willing to teach these guys who were backyarders to help them get better. And uh, Bobby's kind of like Dr. Payne's trimming the fat, trimming the fat, trimming the fat and uh, bringing in better wrestlers. And then he like some of the local guys finally, like the talented ones finally start giving him a chance and start working for him. And he starts running a show um, out in a little town called Willa Mina, which is just like, I mean, I mean, it's like running a show in Margaret River where you're at, right? Like you just go down, it's a little remote town, but because there's nothing else there for those people to do, yeah, it's like the big thing. Like they got to drive 20 minutes to go watch a movie. So like they got to go in, you know, the big town that's, you know, 20 minutes away to do that. Um, So a wrestling show coming to town and Bobby was real smart because he took a couple wrestlers who wore face paint and they went out there, painted up and they went door to door and knocked on people's door and invited him to the show and gave him a flyer. And they took over that town to the point where he had to turn people away at the door. And so like, he was just a, and he, bro, I never seen somebody with a better gimmick table. This dude, he would make the magnets. He would, he would take the picture of the wrestler. He would print it out on his printer. He would cut it out. He would freaking glue it to the magnet, cut out the magnets, sell those magnets for two bucks a pop. He would buy, this was great. So after he stopped being Dr. Payne and just did focused on promotions, uh, he had a kid named Ian who took up the mantle of Dr. Payne and started wrestling as Dr. Payne. So Dr. Payne went from being like a super heavyweight to being like a flyweight wrestler. Right. And, but this kid was so over that um, he, Bobby went out for Halloween and bought the candy blood bags that they that they make you can get like a blood bag and it's you know it's candy blood inside of it that you can drink and uh just fucking sugar water right um and he repackaged it to be dr Payne blood bags right so he pays two bucks for them repackages them and sells them for five bucks and they go like hotcakes and i mean like, he was just so innovative like that it was just genius and uh so he like started running really good shows and that was kind of like the high point of wrestling around here, I think to, to me. Um, and then his dad died and Bobby was like 200 pounds overweight as it was. And so he basically just shut down and just stopped running completely when his dad died and he's never come back. That was a decade ago. Oh, and, shit. Uh, and then I worked for another promotion for a while that was not a very good promotion. I wish I wouldn't have done it. Um, but I should have retired when Bobby retired. But but then, you know, like because of, of my hustle on YouTube and my hustle on Facebook promoting, you know, Portland wrestling, because like nobody knew what Portland wrestling was freaking in, you know, what, 2005. Like people would clown me for sharing Portland wrestling back then. Because they're like, well, Vince doesn't own it. It doesn't matter. Okay, whatever. Whatever, guy who doesn't care about wrestling history. Okay, enjoy the Vince <laughs> stuff. Um, and now people know Portland wrestling really well, you know. And uh, that's great. And I'm very happy to have been part of doing that. And I like, got to thank like, all the fans who archived the footage. Because Don Owen never paid for footage. 
to be archived uh, from Portland Wrestling. So all the names and faces that came through here, the Snookas, Ventura, Buddy Rose, every single piece of footage you see was taped either by Buddy Rose or by a fan with a VHS machine. Wow. Yep. Jesus. <laughs> all of it. All of it. Not None of it was, was kept. They could have paid, I think, $10 a, a week, but he didn't want to. He didn't see, they didn't see the value in it. Oh. Why would people <laughs> want to watch old wrestling? <laughs> now, it's, now that, that would be a dream to have. Uh, see, uh, in my research, I, I, I thought that maybe you, you had bought the, the, the tape library or something like that. that no, that's that all public domain. Right. All public domain. Okay, very interesting. Well, uh, I can tick that so, question off the list, that's for sure. So what, yeah, no, what I did was basically, because um, I was just like, because I was making the shows and putting them on TV, um, me and a wrestler, it was a wrestler named Widowmaker. God bless him. Um, Widow and I were talking about Portland wrestling, and he just happened to say, you know, I have like three or four old Portland wrestling tapes. I was like, really? Yeah, you know, I have like, we have a machine at the studio. I can dub those to, to DVD and we could put them back on TV for everybody to see. He was just like, I'll bring them to you next week. He brought them. I dubbed them. I brought the tapes back. Then Buddy Highway said, you know, my dad had four tapes that I've had that have a bunch yeah. of Beetlejuice stuff with Art Bar. I was like, give them to me, bro. I went, put them on <laughs> DVD, brought them back. And then everybody trusted me because it's like, well, you give him the tapes. He does it and brings them back. And then it was just more people would show up. And it's like, funny fact, dude, today I was at Walmart this very day <laughs> and uh, I'm buying a pack of toilet paper. And the dude who works at Walmart named Ray, who is a Portland wrestling fan says, Hey, what's going on? Portland wrestling. You got any new tapes? I'm like, Whoa, Ray, what's going on? And he talked for a few minutes and he ends up saying, you know, I got four boxes of tapes. My grandmother taped off the television. Oh, shit. and he's like, I was going to work with this other guy with it, but like, he's just too much of a headache. And I was just like, well, and that guy lives in Portland. And I was just like, well, Ray, dude, like we live like 10 minutes away from each other. Like, dude, give me a box. I'll start. Come over. If you want to come over and watch them together, I'm fine with that. I don't care. And so like, and there's another gal right before the whole COVID thing happened, like much like, um, much like the people in Victoria. Uh, we were locked down here in Washington state for two years, ridiculously. Um, and so, but this gal right before COVID had reached out to me and said, Hey, you should take my archive and put it on DVD so people can see it. And then the, all the stuff happened. It's like, we got sidetracked, but I'm just like, okay, there's more footage out there to find. I'm going to try to find it. And so it's, but it's all public domain. Yeah. Because the, the original copyright owners didn't care about it. They abandoned it. So Wow, that's really awesome, and then that that, that that there's potential to still find stuff, uh, you know, all these years later, which is really cool. Uh, is there? This is just a, a question that's off the top of my head. Is there a portion of time or an angle or a period of time in Portland wrestling that you haven't been able to find yet, like your white whale, I suppose, of Portland wrestling footage? Is there something that you 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 want to find but you just haven't found it yet? So for me person, okay, I got, I got like as a historian and then personally as a fan, personally yeah. as a fan, the angle where Top Gun sold out to Scotty the Body Raven and Mama's Money, that whole angle where he's teaming with Scotty, all I think I have is like one tag team match. And all I want to see is the footage with Scotty's mom in the fur coat 
and like Top Gun taking the money and just rubbing it between his fingers like a piece of shit. And like, I just want to relive that era. I found everything else I remember from my child. I've even found like Dave Sierra. Like this is, you know, the interesting thing about like human memory, right? Um, over the years, I had like, when I reflected on that earliest memory of um, Dave Sierra and his mask and his red cloak, later I thought it was the grappler um, because the mask was very similar. And uh, it's crazy like to be going through footage and like, you're always like, you have this old memory and you wonder where it's from. And like, cause you know, I talked to Lenny to the grappler about it and he was like, no, nah, bro, I never wore a red cloak. No, nah, I wasn't there in 80, 83. That's not possible. 85. I wasn't there. And uh, just like, I wonder what I remember, you know? And like, you're watching this old footage and all of a sudden, like, here is the wrestler you remember. Here's Dave Sierra in a red cloak with this mask that looks just like Lenny's mask, but it's just, it's yellow. And it's just like, holy crap. Like I'm seeing this memory 25 years later. And that's really right. like, that's remarkable. Um, and we, like I said, there's like a whole generation. I don't know if they're going to have that happen because everything's so readily available now on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. would be rare. Cause I, I remember, and we talked before we started recording about how I became a wrestling fan. I remember the first time I saw it though, was like, it had to have been like 1992 or 1993. I was at my great grandmother's house and I've never been able to figure out since then what this was, but I know WCW was on the television uh, and there was, I don't know if it was a tag team match or a handicap match, but there was an African-American wrestler. He was whipped off the ropes by this tag team. He ducked the double clothesline and then he hit uh, a double clothesline on the tag team. And I remember I was a kid, I jumped out of my seat thinking, who is this superhuman guy that just took down two people and within a few seconds my dad had to let me know that it wasn't real but I've never been able to figure out who that guy was or the um, black wrestler yeah I, I keep thinking it might have been Ron Simmons but I swear to god the guy had a shaved head but this is such a a a, a tiny like memory from so long ago that I can't picture exactly what it was, but I, I wish to God that I could see that and have that, that memory come back properly to me. So when you, but we know that, it was, we know it was WCW. Yeah. And we know it was like 92, 93. Yeah. Oh, dude. Have you looked through? Like, I've, I've, I've I'm sure you've a, searched endlessly. Yeah, I've, right? searched, I've searched on like cagematch.net to see who was on the roster uh during those years because i don't know if it was 92 i don't know if it was 93 91 94 it, it had to be during that period of time when i was at least five six years old um i can't figure it out i can't i i just think it had to have been ron simmons so all these years i've been telling everyone the first thing i ever saw was ron simmons but it, it could have been. been someone else could have been butch reed could have been that that was another thought but I just I can't. We think just of we know who. it wasn't Sergeant Craig Pittman. <laughs> it was definitely not Sergeant Craig Pittman. This guy was really built. I remember he was really built, um, and that's not a knock on Craig Pittman's physique, but in comparison, this guy was like jacked kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, but one day, hopefully, I'll, I'll, I might sift through all of the early nineties WCW and sit through that to see if I can find the moment. But anyway, enough about me. Enough about so me. 
Uh, yes, yeah, so as a historian, as a historian, what really sucks is that um, there is currently almost no known footage to exist before 1977. Okay. Um, now I have a friend. I have a frenemy. He's being a frenemy right now. He's being very mean and standoffish to everyone. Um, but supposedly, tough Tony Bourne, who is the father of Maniac Matt Bourne, Doink the Clown, Big Josh, and WCW, supposedly Tony gave my friend Brian a bunch of eight millimeter reels that should have professional wrestling on them that Tony would have had shot with an eight millimeter camera. And I've been trying to convince Brian, let me have them. I have an eight millimeter projector. We can play it. We shoot it on it. We, we play it. We, you know, project it on a wall and then we record it with a digital camera off of the wall. And then we've got it. And like, you don't have to worry because that film's going to degrade like film, even yeah. in excellent condition, like a hundred years, like you gotta be, yeah, man, that's not good. And, uh, I think there might be um, some other footage out there um, at a deceased wrestler named Dutch Savage's house. I kind of recall seeing what looked like film cans right. in his closet when we were visiting once. And uh, that would be like the archive. There's a guy named Kevin Orcutt who has a YouTube channel that nobody knows about. Um and he has a ton of like random old eight millimeter footage of Portland wrestlers, though. I'm not, I don't know if it's necessarily the Portland wrestling promotion. It could have been like for Harry Elliott who promoted up in Seattle, or it could have been stuff that was maybe shot in Idaho. I'm not really clear. It's a lot though. It's a lot. It has no sound of course, because it's eight millimeter and they don't record audio. Um, but just to see like old wrestlers, like, there was a huge guy named Beauregard. Like that would probably be some of the biggest stuff. Um, Beauregard was basically like the biggest heel of all time that no one even knows about. And uh, this dude had a tag team partner called the claw who wore like these really crazy masks. And uh, Beauregard once went on television and told um, kids that for Easter, the Easter bunny wasn't going to show up because him and the claw found the Easter bunny last night and the claw gave him the claw and whatever. Right. And just, I mean, was known for it. And he would go down to a local costume shop and rent a different costume for like whatever each holiday was like one time he shows up as a pilgrim for Thanksgiving and uses it as in part of his promo for the wrestler. He's going to wrestle. Um, he showed up as a Roman gladiator once. Um, he is actually, I think, might be the first wrestler to ever release his own album. And he has a song called Testify that you can hear on YouTube. And that guy was just like so ahead of his time. And nobody even knows who he is hardly outside of Portland. And there's just there's hardly any footage to see of him, hardly any pictures. Because we were so remote, there was no one, you know, shooting our promotion for PWI. And so pictures are kind of hard to come by um what else what else so another big one would be to find some footage of like luther Lindsay. um luther Lindsay was like one of these you know one of the first black wrestlers to break the color barrier um you know luther Lindsay was like was our first heavyweight champion in portland he was the first 
African-American, I think, major singles champion in the NWA. And um, out here, he was like holding tag team gold with white guys like Pepper Martin. And that yet when he'd go back to places like Kentucky, he was the Negro champion and could only wrestle Negroes. You know, allowed to wrestle a white man. And um, so like to be able to see some footage of him from back then would be amazing because I'm like... I'm like fascinated by that guy. Cause it's so weird. Cause like when I was a kid, my dad and his brother, my uncle would always talk about when they were kids and going to Portland wrestling, would talk about all these wrestlers and they always talk about Luther Lindsay. They loved Luther Lindsay and Shag Thomas. And it wasn't until I was like 25 years old. And like, we finally had internet that I finally saw <laughs> pictures. I'm like, well, they were black guys. I didn't even know. <laughs> like, and then I like start hearing the story and looking into it. And it's just like, holy crap like they weren't even allowed to wrestle white guys like when they would go to the south and so it's like it makes sense why they were here and why like luther Lindsay was up with Stu hart in calgary like yeah if you got to deal with that in the south and in the east why why would you not stay in the northwest not stay in canada and wrestle and so that's like really fascinating to me i'm not like a woke person in any way don't get me wrong i just find the history fascinating and that idea that like you're, you know, when you're on this part of the country, you're just like free. And when you're yeah. there, you can't even be in a ring with a guy that's a different color than you. How weird. Yeah. That, I never even heard of that until you mentioned it. So yeah. that's something else that I've learned here today. Um, <laughs> it'd be cool to find like footage of destroyer Dick Byer because like this was a stop for him. Like when he was going over to Japan, he would stay, he, you know, wrestled here for a few months. Um, Pat Patterson, this is one of the first places he had a huge feud here with Pepper Martin. Nobody even knows anything about that. Um, Mad Dog Vachon, when he wasn't um, in Quebec, he wasn't in AWA. He was in Portland wrestling, you know, held the belts here multiple times. Um, Gorgeous George got his start here, became gorgeous, first dyed his hair here, first started throwing the bobby pins to the crowd here in Portland. And um, yeah, there's a huge history here that people don't even no i mean we could go into the past you know the little demon joe acton the first the first world legitimate world wrestling champion of all time he was the champion from britain came over to the states became the champion of the states so became the first world catches catch can champion when he retired he taught wrestlers at the multnomah athletic club he's buried here in portland um after that you have um you know frank gotch this was an area that frank gotch barnstormed after he got done in Alaska. I don't know if you know the story of Frank Gotch portraying Frank Kennedy. He went up to the Yukon, which is Alaska. And uh, he went by the name Frank Kennedy because he knew he wouldn't be able to get anyone to wrestle him if he told them he was Frank Gotch because everybody knew who Frank Gotch was by then. And uh, he went up there and I think he made like $48,000 over the course of just a few months, which think about like 1908 how much that is (laughs) and like a million dollars right (laughs) and then he barnstormed uh the northwest was one of the territories that they started barnstorming and uh, dr benjamin franklin roller dr bf roller was a big name out of here back then he was an american champion a few times i mean these were all like like you know legitimate shooters and so you know i thought i find that very interesting because doc dr roller was kind of the one of the first guys to like learn the art of faking an injury and uh roller was like actually would fake an injury and he i mean he would lay there he wouldn't move in the ring 
And like, they would take him to the back and he would, he would lay in the back and not move so that everyone thought that it was real. And he could go out and talk about the injury he had sustained because he was a doctor. He's very eloquent man and people would buy it. And, uh, but he was also a professor at the university of Washington. I believe botany was what his doctorate was in. Um, and then after that, you have um, another big name was Robin Reed, who is probably arguably the greatest wrestler in history. He was uh, undefeated, um, went to the Olympics, won gold. And there's a legendary story about on the boat, on the way over to Europe, while they were all on the boat, every single uh, wrestler and all weight classes, they held a competition um, and Robin Reed, who was only like 130 pounds, he beat every single wrestler on the boat going over and is like literally the greatest wrestler of all time legitimately. And then got into professional wrestling because that's what you did back then. Um, you know, uh, Kirk Douglas, the actor, Michael Douglas's father, Spartacus, Ben Hur, he was a wrestler. He wrestled with Luthez for like a year. All right. And, uh, the history is deep there. The history is rich. And then, you know, you get into the, what, the 70s and 80s, and now you've got Ventura and Snuka and all these guys coming up in Portland and going on to change the world. Okay, I'll shut up now. <laughs> Excellent stuff, bro. No, I, I just, I was really interested to hear about, the, you know, some of the, the, the footage that you're hoping to find. And I, I really uh, respect and appreciate the fact that uh, this is something that means a lot to you to ensure that this stuff doesn't just get lost through, you know, the sands of time or, or however you want to describe it. I think it's yeah. a really good thing that you're doing. And it's, it's important because, you know, <clears throat> uh, there's, there's so much footage that the WWE own now that I still can't see that I still can't get access to. Yes, you can find a lot of stuff on the internet, but it is frustrating that there is a lot of stuff that still you can't, uh, if they, they've got it, they've got it, but they just haven't put it all on their network. Um, but one thing I wanted to ask about when it comes to WWE is through my research, I saw that you received a 12 cent royalty check from them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you ever bother cashing these and, and what is this for hmm. of course well that's just the big money that's the big money no that's because i bought i bought a, a some stock on the first day i paid <laughs> dividends right there that's dividends <laughs> fantastic bro um okay i i need to start talking about wrestling with disaster i've oh. i've watched it twice now oh my god the whole thing the whole thing, although Bless sometimes you. Did you give I do, it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. <laughs> sometimes I do uh, a skip through a uh, uh, corpse uh, interview because uh, I just want to get back to the the disaster. But see, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, I think if I cut out the Corporal Robinson part, like it would be a much more mainstream documentary. <laughs> uh, but me and my friend Adam Blast, he's uh, he's got a, a, a YouTube channel where he likes to put a lot of stuff out as well. Um, we've become quite big fans of the show, uh, the show, the documentary. We we quote things from the from. What do you quote from it? Now. Tell me about it. Well, I'm we, we all... I should have got Buddy Highway on here. <laughs> well, we always call each other sir. Okay, uh... sir. I understand, sir. <laughs> we love that. Um, we also love. Um, 
you know, I've been declared uh, mentally retarded by the state of... <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, Dude, that was the funniest shit I think I've ever heard, man. <laughs> and he was serious, too. He was serious, dude. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking to myself, if this was if this was set up, this is this sound, this looks like a, an actor's done a fantastic job, but he was actually serious the way that he said it. Uh, yeah, we we love to quote certain things from. I, I'm drawing a blank on some other things, but the, the, there's a, um, you know, I think one quote was, you know, is it soybean to, butt? To, to is it weird to have a beer at twelve in the afternoon or whatever? Is, yeah, no, not if you're happy. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what else there was, but there, there's heaps now that we uh, keep quoting to one another. But oh, good, I'm uh, glad that lives on. <laughs> and and for anyone out there who hasn't seen this i'm gonna have the link in the description on youtube you gotta watch it it's really great but the crew that you had there buddy highway uh void hazard uh jared peterson jt evans uh did you decide to document this trip to to clear lake california because you knew it was likely going to be a story to tell or was this the norm to have a camera on the on road trips like this I honestly think we were just like when we started, we were just messing around, right? We we're just having fun. I didn't think it was going to be anything. Nobody thought it was going to be anything. Um, but the minute that we all saw Shannon waving his arms at us, I wish we could have had that on camera, bro. Because it was just like that moment where you're just like, oh, fuck. This is going to go sideways real quick. And we pull in and like I had talked to the guy on the phone. And he did. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was a huge house. Like, I, you know, he's got plenty of room for everyone to stay. And we get there and it's the one bedroom apartment in the ghetto of California. Right. And he's got the, the fucking trash closet and the toilet that's overflowing and the shit all over the floor and like the baloney in the fridge. And after that, we knew it was a schmoz. Like the first thing was just like, let's just go to San Francisco. Like, we'll just go down there. It'll be fine. And then we get there and we like, oh my God, it's a fortune to, to do anything here. And so and then we just wanted to get back to Clear Lake and then we get back to Clear Lake and it's a shit show. And But, you know, you just got to keep going. Just keep going. Let's see what happens. And I'm so happy that it turned out the way it did because that docu- if that would have just been a wrestling show, none of all that footage, I would have just taped over those tapes. Never thought right. of it again. Of course. And, uh, <laughs> but no, Shannon, God rest his soul, Shannon Naylor made that movie amazing <laughs> definitely I, I i really enjoyed the part where the uh uh the meat was placed on top of the fan and <sighs> the fan was turned on and nothing had happened you know buddy thought that it was going to be stuck there and when it yeah. flew off and smacked against the wall i had tears in my eyes i was crying yeah. after bro Beautiful. Um, <laughs> There's so many great, uh, mo- well, I mean, great moments of disaster in the in the in the uh, documentary. A lot went wrong on this trip. For you, what was the worst a- aspect of it? Trying to sleep in the van, in the uh, driver's seat of the van. That was <laughs> that was really hard. That was the worst part. Um, not being able to use the toilet after like uh-huh. oh so long just that was that was hard um but no it was all worth it because we had such a great time once you know once the show was not gonna happen it was like okay let's just go get drunk and have fun (laughs) nice bro uh when it comes to shannon naylor i i just wanted to know when you got to that 
that shithole of a house, you know, there's this garbage in the, in it the wasn't closet. That I don't want to. <laughs> he's garbage he's, in the he's closet mentally and... retarded according to the state So of course he's got the garbage <laughs> in the closet That makes sense <laughs> Did you ever have a conversation with him About the fact that you know Jesus bro you promised us this massive house And we've got I don't know six Seven eight guys staying in this little Shithole um, There's the, the, the shit all over the floor Do you have a conversation with him I, I, I don't believe that I saw that in the documentary About any, did anyone say anything to him? Look at what you've given us in comparison to what you promised us. We shook him down for the money because we knew we better get the money before any other wrestlers show up. Or we're going to be fucked. <laughs> we're not going to get home. And so we got all the money and we're just like, screw it, you know? And then, and I will say like, you know, too tough, Tony, I'm sorry, but I had to lie to you because you guys were going to try to take the money from us. And I wasn't going to let you take the money no matter what. But I also didn't want to be in a fight, like a real fist fight with him over the money. So I just told him, no, he didn't get any money. No, Shannon's lying. It's like, no, we need, we need the money to go home. It's a, it's a long way. He's got friends. He's got friends in insane clown posse. He could call for a freaking ride. We got to get a rental van home. That's it, bro. Uh, do you have a down personal... the granny tranny. <laughs> do you have a, a personal highlight of the trip? God, that whole thing is just great, man. That whole thing was great. I really, uh, I really am proud that we invented the triple high five during that. <laughs> that, that late night in uh san francisco the invention of the triple high five is fond memory yeah that whole apartment just buddy just the buddy in that video just crack, buddy cracks me up like donovan <laughs> etzel aka buddy highway is one of the funniest people i know and like he has a good personality so even when shit's going wrong like you got to like Marilyn Manson taught us in the early nineties on his lovable children's album, portrait of an American family fail to see the tragic, turn it into magic. And we turned it into magic with that documentary. I think um, we did have a moment where like Jared, Jared had a little bit of an issue in the V in the van for a minute. And we all kind of got in a fight for a few minutes, but then like, we, that's why I picked up the homeless guy. Because uh, you didn't really see it, but there was a bit of a blow up between everybody. Right. And uh, I was like, we're going to pick up this guy and have some fun. <laughs> that, you know what? That homeless guy was, I thought he was a really nice guy. He's a really cool guy. <laughs> I wish I could have got on camera. Um, buddy still in the little tiny plunger from the bathroom and smacking JT Evans in the face with it. <laughs> Let me give an update on all these people. Right. So Donovan still, Buddy Highway still wrestles. Buddy yeah. Highway is still a, a rapper um void has moved to wyoming i think he does do a little wrestling out there um he is still just absolutely the most ron paul of the ron paul supporters um he is void paul um jt evans uh if i'm not mistaken went to prison for a few years for white oh. slavery that's yeah. pimp and hose that's called pimp and hose really he was the player jt evans and it turns out he was the player jt evans um, I don't know the whole story. Don't quote me on that. JT, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. I don't know the whole story. It's just what I heard. Um, who else was in that? Jared, uh, Jared is still alive and kicking. He's, uh, he just spent like the last two years, basically just living off a of Bitcoin and uh, playing pool and drinking every night, I think, and enjoying his life and just started going back to work at a car lot like a week ago. Um, Matt legit is still doing his thing. Went on to, uh, let's see, co-host and produce Heartbeat Radio with uh, 
Calgary's own Bruce Hart uh, for a few years. Um, made some other documentaries that are really good. Um, Wrestling is Love. That's much more of a personal thing. Um, yeah. Did the amazing Billy Jack Haynes Stone Cold Steve Austin official fight challenge. Yeah. Have you ever seen that, Carl? No, I have not. No. Go watch it right now. Watch it for the people right now. And we'll talk about it. <laughs> Okay. It's only it's only like a minute and a half. You're gonna shit yourself, Carl. This is the best <laughs> thing I've made since wrestling with disaster. I got so much heat for it too, bro. So much heat, dude. But I just figured like Billy showed up, he went crazy. Like, I'll mute myself so you can just make a reaction video of, of you watching this shit show I put together. Okay, Billy Jack versus Stone Cold official challenge. Yeah, I'm gonna go heat my coffee. I'll be right back. All right, bro. You're right, you back there, bro. I'm back. Excellent. I did watch it. Very good. Very good stuff. I didn't expect that, you know, and I, 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 I my thought was like, I'm just going to make another really nice little documentary like I made about Paul Orndorff and Diana yeah. Hart and all this. Right. <laughs> and instead, Billy shows up with like this idea that he wants to like challenge Austin to a fight. And like, I'm not interested in that at all, but it doesn't matter what I ask him. Like he just keeps going back to it and right. going back. To, and it's just like, keeps doing it. And so um, I'm talking to my friend, Kelly Schaefer, who's the subject of my second documentary wrestling is love, who yeah. was trained by Billy Jack. Right. Cause he was there for all this. Yeah. And we're talking about it afterwards. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this freaking footage. Like he's just being nuts. And he just like, we're joking around and he says, have you okay so carl have you ever seen this video online it's a lex luger billy jack haynes like i know i don't know clinic where it cuts it just it's like freaking half an hour of cutting back and forth between lex luger going <laughs> i know or i don't know and then it cuts to billy jack going i oh, know i don't know oh, no. and he goes you should just do that with it and so i was like that's a freaking great idea <laughs> so I just put together the most insane thing I could think of. And, uh, oh, my God, people were so mad. People were so mad about it. And it just got it got even crazier than that. I have another documentary that I'm not sure what to do with because Billy talks like when we were together. Um, we were together a couple of days there. Um, he like tells this story about his real dad. Like I was talking earlier about his blind dad in the wheelchair. So while we're talking, he, on camera, he tells me about how that wasn't his real dad. His real dad was a boxer named Willie Penland, who was murdered in his house in North Portland in the early 80s. And, like, Billy had this binder, like a three-ring binder with him. And in that binder, he had all this different information laminated. Like that picture he has of Jeannie Clark that he's holding up in that video. Yeah. That was in this binder. And it says like Jeannie Clark, ex-wife. And he's got the marriage certificate, his birth certificate, information about his mom. He's got this information about this guy, Willie Penland. And, and it's his like dad. And it's like, it's like he carries this with him everywhere. So if he dies, people will know who he is and his story and who he's related to. And so like, that was the only reason I took it serious. Um. And I went home and I started looking into this Willie Penland who was murdered in North Portland. And bro, I, I don't know what to say. Cause it's like really real and really interesting. And I guess that maybe a few months later, Billy 
maybe started talking about this stuff in front of Rob Feinstein's camera too, because there's like a few years ago, Feinstein had an interview with Billy in a hotel room and he never put it out because he was worried about the legal liabilities of it. Really? And like, I looked into it, dude. And I looked too deep into it. I looked a little too far. Um, You know, Billy was almost murdered back in like 2003, I think 2003. Somebody like tried to stab him to death in his van. And uh, Billy had been running drugs for a uh, local cartel. And uh, the story was that he ripped them off. And so that was their revenge was they just stabbed him over and over. And uh, as I dug deeper and deeper into all this stuff, I was just like, this is not good. This is probably not good. And started calling around um, to try to get more information about like all this stuff and called the Portland police department to ask for like, how you, how do I get this information? And uh, like the detective that calls me back, like started grilling me about this Willie Penland murder. And I'm just like, well, I was three years old, so it wasn't me. You know, <laughs> I'm just curious because yeah. Billy Jack saying this was his father. And like, this is like an interesting kind of a story. And that's a weird thing to say. Um, and so I have all that footage and it's like archived and it's crazy because Billy just like disappeared. Like he got jumped and disappeared. And uh, I never put it out there. I've been thinking about putting it out there. I don't know. I don't know how comfortable I am with it though, because some crazy stuff happened and like, anyway, anyway, enough of that. Okay. No worries, bro. Uh, I, I wanted to move forward and talk about uh, pro wrestling uncut. Uh, I believe 2012. Uh, Portland wrestling uncircumcised. Yeah. I've ta- I worked on that <laughs> before it even had an episode. <laughs> I, uh, I saw a little bit of footage of this a couple of days ago. Saw Roddy Piper out there cutting mm-hmm. a promo um, <clears throat> I want you to just know um, yeah, a little bit about this uh, uh, and uh, any personal favorite memories of, of Roddy Piper. Okay, well, um, well, Portland Wrestling Uncut was, um, I don't want to say the brainchild. Okay, there was a money mark named Pete Schweitzer. Pete Schweitzer's mother passed away. Pete came into a bunch of money and a house and all this and decided he was going to try to be a big shot in the wrestling business. He tried to do this. Uh, like 10 years earlier, back in 2002, 2003, this guy Schweitzer decided he was going to start running promotions. And it ended very abruptly because he lost his ass and didn't know what he was doing. And a decade later, when his mom passes away and he comes into all this money, he decides he's going to do it again. And uh, he, he, he like acts like a real big shot when he talks to people, right? And so he kind of bluffs his way into KPTV channel 12, which is what Portland wrestling used to be on and says he wants to do this. And, you know, he's got, he's going to get Roddy Piper involved. Roddy, you know, if you got the money, Roddy's a businessman. Um, and he can't get the deal closed. And so he calls me and says, do you think you could help me get this deal closed to get like this Portland wrestling show off the air with KPTV, you know, about TV and like, they just, they don't understand how it's going to be, how they're going to make the show and make it profitable and like what it takes to make this kind of a show. So we had like this meeting with me and Pete and Roddy and Lenny, the grappler and Don Koss, who used to be um, the uh, commentator for Portland wrestling. 
and is still like owns uh, some radio stations in the area and whatnot. And it was going to be the voice of Portland wrestling again, as it, you know, it's come back. And so we went to this meeting with the head of KPTV and uh, I pitched the guy on the vision I had to make the show and the guy bit. And uh, then Lenny and I started like booking out like 13 weeks of TV. So it's like, well, we know we've got 13 episodes and we need to build toward two things. That's getting us another 13 weeks of TV and doing like local shows. And, you know, because that's the whole point of television is to advertise your show in the yeah. town you're going to. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we booked out this show and then we take the show to Roddy and Roddy, you know, tears it apart and puts it together. And like, then we go back and do some more and bring it back and like had this really great vision for this show where it's like, it's Roddy Piper and Lenny Denton and the old stars of Portland wrestling creating the new Portland wrestling. Right. And I kind of envisioned it as we should treat it like it's almost like a reality competition show for the first like 13 episodes or even the first 26 episodes where some guys aren't going to make the cut and like, but then you can like bring them back in a different fashion. Like you cut them as a singles wrestler, but they got the balls to show up with a tag team partner a couple weeks later. Well, I know you said I couldn't do it as a singles, but give us a shot as a tag team, Roddy and blah, blah, blah. Right. And uh, kind of start to tell these stories and introduce these characters and introduce their personal lives um, a little bit so that people have something to, glob onto like people you know i want to know you you know i hate like every wrestler nowadays is so freaking generic like they're just especially wwe they're just interchangeable and uh it's terrible there's no personality there and you got to get to know their personalities and like one that was great was uh eric watts who was a tall black dude who wrestled from california i think he was on a tough enough maybe i don't remember but he has a brother who's like handicapped that he takes care of. It's just like, that is the most amazing story. And people would fall in love with this kid. And like, that's where his wrestling name comes from. He's named, he took the name of his brother. And it's just like, that's freaking awesome. Like people would love this guy. And uh, you, you know, you get them emotionally invested and uh, Pete just didn't get it. Pete didn't understand that at all. And like, I'll never forget me and Lenny and I, trying to have a booking meeting at pete's house and all this dude is doing is like trying to show us parts of monday night raw that he liked from the last week and um showing us pictures that he took backstage at a wrestling show this guy flew to maine to eat crab and go to a wrestling show and he walked around in the back of this wrestling show acting like a big shot and telling people he's a big time promoter from Portland. And uh, I'll never forget, he had a picture with him and Ron Simmons together. And it's like, oh, you're taking pictures in the back? No, you're a mark, bro. Ugh. And uh, he, all he wanted was to book Shane Douglas. Well, Shane Douglas gave me his phone number when we met out there. And like, he, he's my friend. I want to <laughs> book him. It's like, oh, no, we're in a lot of trouble here. And uh, Pete kept stalling me out on a contract. And it's just like, you want me to like, I'm writing your show. I'm producing your show. I'm going to be directing your show. KPTV doesn't know how to make a wrestling show for nothing. Mm. Like these, these people don't know anything about wrestling. You got to have somebody that understands it. Um, and then Pete like claimed that he was going to talk to his attorney, but his attorney was out of town for the week. He went on vacation for the week. 
And then like three days later, he brings up in conversation to Roddy. Yeah, I'll call the attorney uh, after we're done here and talk to him about it. And I'm just like, I thought the attorney was out of town for a week. And that's why you couldn't get me the contract. And basically, it turns out Pete was trying to just get me to work for free, teach them how to make a wrestling show and then leave. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do that. Why would I? I spent years like developing this skill. I don't give it away. Um, and I'm not asking for much here. Like I'm just asking for fair compensation for the work I've done so far for you. Like I'm taking days off from work to help develop your show here, bud. And, uh, that really sucked. Um, I think if you watch that show, you can see that it sucks. It sucks. The crowd is non-existent. Like it's literally, I mean, they're lucky if they can get 20 people in the crowd. How's that? You got Roddy Piper. How yeah. are you drawing 20 people, you know? And, uh, but every step of the way, I'll, I'll, the only thing Pete wanted was a match between Matt Bourne and Shane Douglas. And he got that match. And uh, during that match, it was also, they did like the canned food drive where you bring a can of food, you get $2 off or whatever, right? <laughs> one of them picked up the can of food and threw it at the other one and it missed and hit a kid in the face. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say that was probably the best match, uh, the last great match Shane Douglas and Matt Bourne probably ever had, <laughs> separately and together. Um, and so it just like it lasted like nine months. Pete lost his money. He lost the house. Had to sell his house to a friend. Yep. I think like was living in his van for a while or some shit. This guy brought in the Nasty Boys for a triple shot weekend. Paid them like seven grand. Fuck. <laughs> I don't think I, I went to two of the three shows didn't draw more than 30 people at two of the three shows. It is literally, you can watch it on testosterone overload. The nasty boys matches are the worst shit you will ever see in your life. It's an embarrassment. Embarrassment. Unbelievable, bro. You have names like that. It just, it reminds me of a company here in, in uh, Perth, uh, you know, that they would, book someone like al snow to fly all the way over to uh, mm-hmm. australia and uh 35 people in the audience and it would just blow my mind the, the amount of money that they because i was wrestling for them as well i don't know what what i was thinking but um yeah they'll bring in all these guys from the u.s and they wouldn't draw anything and it just made no sense but um anyway again i, I gotta stop talking about myself um no, let's talk uh, about the Perth for a minute. Let's talk about Australian wrestling. It amazes me <laughs> that you don't have like half a dozen really talented wrestlers who just tour the circuit. I'm surprised all the promoters don't work together to create like that one champ that can actually tour the country. I, I think there's so much potential stupid. there because mm-hmm. the, in the last few years, a lot of Australian wrestlers have been going, uh, you know, they're working for AEW and uh, impact in wwe right now so yeah. like the, that's finally starting to happen uh whereas you know uh, 20 years ago the i think mark mercedes was in doing a couple of jobs in wcw and ashley hudson was there as well but um not really many australian wrestlers were quite prominent at that stage but now i always think to myself you got so many talented people over east uh you got this great company here over in the west uh, apw um 
you know, there's uh, a company in South Australia. There's a few in, you know, New South Wales and Victoria. I well, just they run what Adelaide myself. or what? Sorry, what's that? Do they run Adelaide? Uh, no, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but there, there's a whole bunch of companies, but they all just stick to themselves. It feels, mm-hmm. and uh, that you might be able to book someone from over east uh, to come do a, a you know a, a perform once every you know few months or once a year or something. Um, but I've never I've never seen any of them really get together and figure out how can we start some sort of national thing. I, I just think there yeah. is potential there. You've got a guy called Andrew McManus that lives over East and he ran, you know, the world wrestling all-stars and superstars of wrestling, um, which had, you know, a lot of former WWE and WCW talent. He's got money. He likes wrestling. I don't understand how you can't get a whole bunch of people from around the country, go to one location, film, you know, 10 weeks worth of, of stuff and, and, and uh, pitch it to streaming services. I think that is something that could probably um, be possible if someone actually, you know, pulls their finger out of their ass and, and attempts it. Yeah. And, or like, if you're bringing in a guy like from the States, why would you guys not all split the bill and just have him be there for a week and work four different promotions? Like, because you, I mean, they're all so far apart. It's not like here where there's five promotions just in Portland alone. Like it's a long trip from Sydney to Victoria to like. Yeah. That's yeah. That's well, one of the ma- one of the major problems though is is that uh, when it comes to Australian pro wrestling, a lot of the companies will only have one show every six weeks. Like there's no mm. company that has a weekly uh, yeah. event or anything like that they, they build up for, for weeks and weeks to have this one show because if they did it every single week then they wouldn't be able to afford it and the, the crowds would, would go down in size so it's, it's weird for them to all get together yeah that's the illusion what I'm... that they're bigger and touring and that's it it's all smoke and mirrors that's it bro so um, anyway to sum up the portland wrestling uncut i think it's great that all of our local boys got a chance to work with Roddy and Lenny for such a long time, like yeah. nine months and get that experience. I think it's sad that that was the last thing Roddy did in Portland. Um, I think that sucks because there's nothing that you can point to that was spectacular that came out of that in any way. Um, and that could have been a, a show that was special and different. And people would have been drawn to that in Portland. If Pete would have, focused on running the little towns because, you know, it's probably very similar to living in Australia where like, if you live on the West coast of the United States, you have one major freeway, one expressway that just goes from Canada all the way straight down to Mexico. And everyone who lives on that expressway, it's fairly populated along that expressway, but you go 30 miles to the east or west, you're getting into rural areas and little communities of 3,000 people or 5,000 people or 8,000 people or 10,000 people. And that's fertile, that's fertile land for pro wrestling. And uh, everybody wants to be in Portland for some reason, even though they haven't been drawn in Portland for 20 years. And even though they know if you just go that way, go out and find a town and work that town. And just keep coming back and get them coming in and go knock on the doors and hustle. And nobody wants to treat it like a business anymore. All the marks you got in the business, 
don't know that it's a business and they don't know what that even means. I think like they, the, the bit, their business is whatever they do the other five days of the week when they're not pretending they're in the wrestling business. And uh, I wish that that would change. Um, and maybe it is changing. I don't know. Maybe I should come to Australia and open up. <laughs> that would be cool, bro. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for the story there about uh, um, pro, uh, Portland Wrestling Uncut. It's, uh, I, I just wanted to know a little bit more about that. We're getting toward the tail end here, Matt, of this interview. Uh, I wanted to ask you what you think of the current state of pro wrestling. You mentioned this 10-hour part one of this documentary of what happened to pro wrestling. I, you know, I... I would be very interested to see that. Um, but what do you think of, of today's uh, wrestling? Uh, and I, I don't really know. Okay, yeah. So I, you know, um, I am going to make the world's longest documentary. I've already looked into this with Guinness. I am <laughs> going to turn this into the world's longest documentary. Cause I still have like that 10 hours. That's part one. I still have 50 hours of footage that I have not cut together. Um, so there's still a lot to go. Um, Man, it's a real weird time in wrestling because if you're not a longtime wrestling fan like yourself, Carl, and you look at it, it seems like wrestling is in really great shape. We have WWE, NXT, AEW, Ring of Honor's coming back. We have Impact Wrestling. We have um, MLW. What else do we have? I know there's another one that's like pretty popular. That WA? W- and now one that's really pretty popular um uh no there's one that's on peacock that like maybe that's not a current show though w not wxw i don't know i can't think of all of them but it seems like you look at it and it's like wow like this is a lot of content but it's certainly not the pop culture phenomenon that it was in the 90s and i attribute that mainly to wwe i think it's fairly common knowledge that Vince's goal is to make WWE the star. And that's why you don't see like these real superstars, like the rock and stone cold were, um, they become harder to control. I think CM Punk is like a great example of that where, you know, that's a guy that can't be controlled. He's going to do what he wants. Um, but I don't, I think he might be the exception. I think that, a lot of people get into the wrestling business because they want to do that. They want to be like as big as they can be. They want to go on to be a movie star. Yeah. And it's weird because Vince owns a, his own movie studio. Why would you not be trying to make the biggest stars possible? Um, why? Yeah, it makes no sense to me. Um, and I first really noticed it when they didn't let Bray Wyatt end the Undertaker's streak. Yeah. And like, Brock Lesnar gains nothing from it. Brock Lesnar has already been a UFC world champion. It does nothing for him. Yet it would have turned Bray Wyatt into the next Undertaker, and he could have gone yes. 19 years and not lost. And I think they screwed that up big. Um, I think they kind of screwed up the shield. I don't know all the politics there, but it seems like Dean Ambrose could have been a lot bigger. Maybe it's his demons are the problem, but... Like, it seems like every time they have something going on that I'm interested in watching, within just a matter of weeks, they screw it up or they cool the jets too quick yeah. and I lose interest. And um, and so with WWE, I think the, the best thing WWE could do is probably hire somebody like me and let me pay me to tell them the truth. 
I think <laughs> a big problem they have is, uh, you know, this is like one of the things that's talked about in that Pat Patterson documentary on Peacock. You guys don't have Peacock. I understand that. I don't know if you've been able to see that documentary. Yeah. Okay. Um, Pat was the guy that always told the truth to Vince. That's real shit, Vince. <laughs> Who, who's doing that now? Like, if you don't have someone that's doing that, like, that is why the product is in trouble. Mm-hmm. Because, like, if you say that, the politics say you can't, like, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to get fired. You know, if, they, if, if you just want to be surrounded by ass kissers, the product suffers. And now they've had their best year ever. But I'm going to attribute that to two big things. Number one, Saudi money. And number two, oh, well, when you cut half your roster, yeah, you save a lot of money. And so I think that like, and it was smart. Don't get me wrong. It was smart for them to set themselves up to have that appearance of our best year ever on paper. Um, that looks good. That looks great. Um, but you watch the product and what is, what is it? I don't even know what it is. Like I never thought, and I, I, you asked me if you would have asked me before this year, no, women don't belong in the wrestling business. There's a, there, occasionally there's an exception. Occasionally there's a Thunder Rosa. Occasionally there's an Addy Nightheart. Occasionally there's a Sonny. Um, Sonny's not a wrestler, but Sonny knows her place as a manager. Occasionally there's an AJ Lee. She shouldn't have been a wrestler, but as a manager, she knew her shit. Um, but overall, I would say, no, women don't belong in the wrestling business. Um, but I'll tell you what, the women are the best part of WWE, hands down, in my opinion. And it's that's nothing against the, re- the male wrestlers. It's just nobody's booking them. In anywhere appropriately there are no i don't know who's a star it seems like every match is five minutes um that elimination chamber was a joke god bless austin theory for like i love that kid i don't necessarily like what they're doing with him but that kid man that kid can work and that kid that kid gets the business um but like that should be a that's like a 30 minutes the main event how, how is that a 10 minute thing like, at least it felt like it was 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there were no, like, big spots other than, like, Brock throwing Theory off the top of the chamber. Yeah. Um, it was just like, you got AJ Styles and Matt Riddle in here, and you don't know, like, you don't have time to let them have a great match. Like, we could have had, like, the greatest elimination chamber of all time right there. And uh, it was just like a shit show. It re- every, uh, the last I've watched, I see, I haven't watched WWE in a long time. I try to tune in like once a year or twice a year just to see and see if they can you, how long can you keep me for? They can never keep me more than 20 minutes. Um, yeah. But I've watched, I watched Royal Rumble. I watched the Elimination Chamber. Now I'm going to watch WrestleMania and I'm going to stream about it. You and your mates are invited if you guys want to come on and talk about it uh, on a podcast. Um, you guys can just take over my channel, honestly, if you guys want. I'm pretty much done. Um, I just do working on documentaries now. Um, but God, dude, it, I mean, like I watch it and it looks, it looks like a backyard wrestling show. Like that happy, what's his name? Happy, not happy Hogan. I know that's not his uh, name. Happy Corbin. <laughs> Good Lord. Why is that guy dressed like a backyard wrestler? Oh, I don't know. It does my head in. <laughs> I just, I'm flabbergasted. It looks like a backyard show. And I, 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 I'm just shocked by it. I don't know how, how far they've fallen. And the women, like, I think it's TJ runs the women. Um, yeah. Man, he's doing great. I just can't believe it. But it's, it's, you know, it was real interesting at the Rumble. Um, I was really happy because you saw, like, all of the divas make their comeback, right? Yeah. And they came into the ring. 
and they hit a spot and nobody gave a shit and nobody popped for them. And they all like, they're a lot like Charlotte Flair where they do one move and then they try to like mug for the cameras in the crowd. And it's, it's bullshit. It falls flat and they look like a shitty wrestler because where's the psychology, like stay on top of the wrestler. You're trying to win a wrestling match. Not, mm-hmm. not yeah. And it's just, it's like, they want me to be impressed that they could execute a leg drop. What do you fucking do, honey? Like, <laughs> whoop-de-doo and I, so it was really nice to kind of see all those broads like even though the spotlight felt like it was put on them more than the actual workhorses um it was like all the girls in the background were doing the great job and keeping me interested and these silly little skinny models would come out and try to do a thing and then they get tossed out because nobody really gave a shit and i felt like we finally saw a change from like the div- the divas are gone and we're back to like women's wrestling and if they, the, uh, Aaliyah, I think was her name. She yep. seems very talented as a wrestler. Um, is her name Queen Zendaya? Uh, Queen Zelina. Zelina. Yeah. She also seemed like a hell of a little wrestler. Um, all the black chicks, all the black chicks in WWE are great. Um, I like them all. Um, Natty Nightheart is great. I don't know the name of the chick she's teaming with now who looks like real caveman-ish, like a uh, cavewoman. Is that Tamina Snooker? Oh, is that Tamina? Okay, yeah, yeah, it's gotta be Tamina. I haven't seen her in a long time. Um, I like that. Like, I think that all of it's great. And it's nice to see the broads who were brought in for their looks not getting the pop anymore and people appreciating wrestling. And maybe they can actually give Natty some more to do because Natty Nightheart is the best wrestler they have. And uh, yeah, man. No, but that's great. I, I like now, AEW. Should we that? talk about AEW now? Yeah, but go for it, bro. Guy MJF, that's my man. That's my guy. Um, super talented. I think uh, AEW's got something special going. I think the big problem Tony Khan has is he needs to stop making sports entertainment finishes. A perfect example was that dog collar match where you have this brutal dog collar match between MJF and CM Punk, and it has the Vince McMahon finish with the freaking million-dollar ring. And Ted DiBiase came out and hit him with the million dollar ring. And <laughs> I was just like, that is the biggest bullshit finish ever. I could not believe they did that. And that's, uh, that's a great point, bro. After that brutality, and it was it was finished because of the ring. Yeah. And then um Thunder Rosa versus whoever the broad was, Thunder Rosa took on for the belt. Um, at their it was I don't know the name of that last pay-per-view. I did a dang stream about it. Uh, revolution. It. Yeah. Um that what made no sense to me was like, so MJF gets hit with the million dollar ring and is knocked unconscious. And then in the next match, a woman is hit in the head with a belt, curb stomped into a belt, yep. and she still kicks out on two. Yeah. So the booking there is a problem. Yep. Um, great, great wrestlers. Um, I like that it feels different than WWE. Yeah. Um, I just think they need to continue to be different. Like, that's like, that's one of the keys to success in life is like you go the opposite direction. That's how Paul Heyman had success. He went opposite. Yeah. Um, that's what rejuvenated WWE. They went opposite. Uh, you know, when everybody else was trying to figure out how to take oil out of the ground in the middle of the ocean and pump it up to the surface, another guy said, well, let's just put a hose at the bottom and drag it all the way to the, we'll just pump it to the land. And he became a millionaire. And so uh, everybody else was trying to build a bigger computer and Bill Gates came along and tried to build a smaller computer. 
And so that's what you got to do. You got to go opposite. You know, that's a big problem with all these indie promotions. They all are Vince, WWE, Marks for life, playing freaking uh, WWE 2K22. You know, oh, I'm going to do these moves in the match. Like no psychology, no thought for the crowd, no listening to the crowd. They don't know what they were doing because they were trained by a, a, a has-been who never was. Um, they didn't get trained by a real uh, professional trainer like a Bruce Hart or a Rip Rogers who can actually give them what they need. We had a guy around here nobody knows named Buddy Wayne. He is the guy that trained Darby Allen. And uh, Buddy Wayne knew his shit. He was just a guy who was born in the wrong era. And his prime was the 1990s when there's no business to have. And, uh, but that dude has trained a lot of guys around here and Darby shows like the level of success you can have if you're dedicated to it as a business, because a lot of the guys buddy trained are the best wrestlers in the Northwest, but they've just, they've never branched out. They've never tried to go any bigger. And Darby was the guy who got the hell out quick and very smart. And I think uh, when I finally finish Wrestling With Reality, the 54-hour documentary, um, people will see why Darby Allen is the smartest wrestler in the Northwest for getting out of here as quick as he possibly could. Excellent, bro. Yes. God, I don't uh, even know what your question was. No, we we're oh, just talking about AEW, but I, I agree. Mm. I think uh, for me personally, I... I I tried to review about 20 weeks worth of AEW television and I had to tap out last mm -hmm. year um, after I believe it was uh, the full gear pay-per-view. I was pretty mad at most of the finishes of that uh, on that show. And I just found that, geez, every time I look at a card, I know who's winning ahead of time. I can tell I can tell ahead of time that there's it's all foregone conclusions. I know who's winning this, 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 and this. It never feels like uh, that there's really high risk of anyone losing or there being an upset. It's all foregone conclusions across the board. And uh, for me, it's like, why would I want to watch something where I can tell what's happening before it happens? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, it's uh, good to get you thoughts on all that wanted to ask now aside from your uh 54 hour documentary uh do you have any other projects on the horizon well i'm hesitant to put it together but i've really been thinking about it because it was it's been years since it was shot the billy jack haynes documentary and this footage i shot with him that i talked about um that i am I'm really interested in putting that together, but I think I might hire an editor to help me with that rather than do it myself because I want to make it like the first actual, well, Dark Side of the Ring does a very good job at this, but I want it to be more cinematic than the typical uh, wrestling documentary. I think that uh, people making wrestling documentaries need to try to push those boundaries like, uh, like Dark Side of the Ring has done and make it look more cinematic and yeah, tell the story. I, I'm tired of shoot interviews where you just like put a camera on sticks and it doesn't move. Yeah. And you just sit in a hotel room with a guy. Like, I mean, even you just look at like the stuff I did with, you know, like Barbara Goodish or Paul Orndorff or any of this. I mean, at least I put movement into the camera. I had some pictures, like try to give it some depth. And, uh, but those are the two big projects. Um, I, 
I have a, a screenplay that I wrote called Megawatt versus the Vampires of the Sun. It's a luchador inspired. I don't know if you're familiar with luchadores and mascarados films, but there were over a hundred uh, luchador films like Mil Mascaras got his start in Mexican wrestling films, right? Yeah. So I kind of wrote an Americanized version because every Mexican I know lives in America. And so I wrote this uh, story about some Mexican wrestlers facing some vampires here in Portland. And uh, I just uh, had that screenplay um, optioned, not purchased, but optioned by a company in Los Angeles. They're interested in turning it into a film or maybe an animated film. And so we'll see how that goes. Um, I have a publishing company. I write books on the side. So uh, if you like uh, fiction, you'll probably like my books. If you like comic books and pro wrestling, you'll probably like my books. Uh, I've been considering doing um, some nonfiction books about pro wrestling, one on the history of Portland wrestling. Uh, you can find my books at enterthelostlibrary.com. If you like 90s comics, like image comics, you can check out uh, my other YouTube channel, Crypto Comics. Uh, where I talk about 90s comics, just like I talk about professional wrestling. Um, what else do I do? I sit on the city council in my hometown. That's fun. Not really. It's a real nightmare. Um, I know I got more, but I'm running out. I'm running out of steam. That's what I got, Carl. I like you, though. I like you, Aussies. You're, the, you're just the finest people. Um, way better than those palms. <laughs> and yeah yeah i like uh i like uh all you aussies and i i i would like it if you would come on my podcast anytime you guys want i'm uh i haven't been doing it i'm actually trying to find people i would love to find people to take over my channel and do something with it i've been saying this to my friend sean and just like because he just keeps trying to get me to do stuff just like <laughs> i just don't want it dude like i don't i did what i wanted to do like <laughs> like i want to finish my documentaries and that's kind of it like but so if you guys are ever looking to take over another YouTube channel, I got 20,000 subscribers. They could be yours. Feel free. No problem, bro. Well, thanks for that. Uh, and I, I would love to come on your show anytime. Um, and uh, everything that you've mentioned, all the documentaries, all the things that you've been doing or have done, everyone out there in the description on YouTube when this comes out, you can find all the links there. I'll put it all there. Um, so if there is anything that you've forgotten after we're done with the interview, I'll ensure that we have every single thing that we uh, want to um, plug for, for yourself and what you're up to, Matt. Um, we're coming right to the end of the interview here, Matt, and I've really appreciated your time. Time is getting on over there now. Uh, it's just the early afternoon for me, so I'm fine. But I wanted to get through this final segment here of the show. It's called Five Second Frenzy. The rule is you have five seconds to answer each question. It's just your favorite this, your favorite that, learning other things about you um, that we haven't had the chance to cover. Uh, the, the first question I'm five second friends is, Matt Legit, who is your, who is your oh, favorite? <laughs> who is your favorite wrestler of all time? My favorite local wrestler is Top Gun in Portland. Uh, my favorite wrestler before my time is Dutch Savage. Um. My favorite wrestler before I was born would be Luther Lindsay. Um, my favorite WWE wrestler is probably the British Bulldog, Davey Boy Smith. Excellent choices there. Uh, uh, also, uh, Kurt Hennig. Huge Kurt Hennig fan. Another great choice there. Uh, 
over the history of your fandom, is there one match that you, you think to yourself, that is my favorite match? Well, that's hard because what is a wrestling match? There's different kinds of wrestling matches. There's a match by Jules Strongbow and Al Madrill on my YouTube channel from Portland Wrestling that is absolutely the funniest match you will ever see. You'll never see a match like it done today. That's what I love about it. Um, for me, man, WrestleMania 2000 was like amazing. Um, for me, the Gold Dust Roddy Piper Hollywood Backlot Brawl was amazing. Um, Man, that's such a hard question. That's an impossible question. Yeah, that's all right. A lot of people have a hard time with that one on the show. Uh, moving away from wrestling now, do you have a favorite book? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me think. I got to think about that for, I'm sorry. That's okay. I've read, I've read a lot of books too. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite book. Um, maybe Peter Pan. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, moving from books to favorite TV show. Uh, mate, I do have a favorite TV show. It's a bloody Aussie show too, mate. <laughs> it's a bloody jungle out there. Can you guess my favorite Aussie show, mate? <laughs> no, it's got bloody Cow Williams in it, mate. <laughs> <laughs> underbelly yes <laughs> seen them all <laughs> i love underbelly especially the first uh series that was really i cool. haven't watched bikey wars yet right i have not seen that either but uh yeah but it, I did all watch that really good all the underbellies even the one from they'd made in new zealand did you know they made an underbelly in new zealand no yes called the long green cloud right okay i'm gonna write that down um it, it is not nearly uh, as good as the Aussie versions. I mean, like, cinematically, I was blown away, like, at the level of glory that those shows had. I mean, even, like, in all of the made-for-TV movies, like, even most recently, they did Informer 3838. I haven't watched that one. It's been sitting on a hard drive waiting for me. Um, but if you're an American, you need to go on Amazon. You need to watch Underbelly. If you like The Sopranos, you ain't seen nothing yet. Underbelly true stories of Australian crime. It's a different story each season, jumps through time. Sometimes they even overlap. It is absolutely wonderful. You will love it. Don't watch it with kids in the room. <laughs> Good call, bro. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's some pretty hectic stuff. And I have to say, there's a lot of sex scenes. Um, moving from TV shows now, favorite film? Uh, the Wizard of Oz is my favorite film of all time. Um, I am also a huge fan of the Cinema Virate documentary called F for Fake by Orson Welles. Um, my favorite like movie for growing ups is The Third Man by Carol Reed, starring uh, Joseph Cotton and Orson Welles. It's a black and white film. Excellent, excellent. Uh, moving away from the arts now, favorite food? Chocolate. Lovely. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Between a woman's thighs. <laughs> I'll favorite I'll... place to eat on the road? God, <laughs> well, how about my least favorite place to eat on the road? Coming from the Pacific Northwest, we do not have waffle houses. The closest waffle house is a thousand miles away in Colorado. So wow. my entire life, I've had to hear wrestlers talk about the waffle house, though, right? 
Yeah. And it's just like, what's so like, you probably have the same experience. Like you want to eat at a waffle house. I you do. want that wrestler yeah. experience. Yeah. No, you freaking don't brother. You do <laughs> not want this experience. When I was in um, Kansas city, Missouri, I paid a taxi driver to take me to the waffle house and drop me off. And I got everything. I got the waffles. I got um, the smothered and covered hash browns. Those were good. The waffles. Oh, terrible. Everything else horrible. It was most horrible processed garbage ever. I cannot believe people eat there. <laughs> it's actually the number one answer that we get on this show. It's always Waffle House. That's um, terrible. No. <laughs> uh, and I was kind of hoping that your answer might be, you know, um, Den uh, Denny's from San Francisco. See, around here we have Denny's and we have Sherry's. And uh, if I had to choose between those two, you want Sherry's. That's definitely like homemade good stuff. Denny's is a little process too, but that Denny, that Denny's there, man, that was so expensive. And the blood and throw up on the toilet was just, I can't believe I had to pay for that. <laughs> uh, the next one, bro, is a favorite alcoholic beverage. I don't drink. I'm a, a teetotaler. If uh, I had okay. to drink, I would, if I had to drink though, I would probably choose a expensive Riesling wine from the Willamette Valley because I like the sweet wines. Um, if I had nice. to choose a beer, I would choose uh, either a Northwest IPA. I know, see, Australia, you guys love beer as much as Americans love beer. You guys love beer more than us. But you guys, I was really surprised to find out how big microbrewing culture was in Australia. Yeah. I mean, it's like as big as it is in the States. It was really impressive. Um, so I would like a, I like a nice uh, IPA. Um, but also, again, it goes back to like the chocolate beers. And those are really hard to find. Um we get really lucky. We have pumpkin ales here. Have you ever had a pumpkin ale? I have not, but I've, I've had I, I kind of had a feeling you probably didn't get that down there. Um, <laughs> man, we, we have like whole pumpkin beer festivals here in the Northwest. Wow. And that's, those are special too. But for me to drink, it's like something I do on my birthday. You know, it's very rare. Yeah. Oh, that's fair enough. And well, that and was that a five second answer. Like <laughs> that, that's fine, bro. Yeah. Uh, two more to go here for five second frenzy. Second last one is favorite female body part you see a good looking lady the may be cheesy mate <laughs> no i like uh uh the soul that's a very like good them, answer i like them long and skinny i like them with platinum blonde hair I'm like a good smile yeah i like them short zendaya what's her name zelina queen Z queen zelina yeah i like them short yeah they're good too <laughs> i just like Very women nice. i like women as long as they're not woke as long as they're not a blue-haired land whale <laughs> i don't like them with tattoos either right, fair enough um and the last one bro is favorite curse word yeah the bloody aussie's got a curse word that i like but i can't say it on here i'll get in trouble mate starts with a c and ends with an n are you talking about cunt <laughs> yeah mate we don't have that here it means it means something different here um i don't know my favorite curse word i don't have one sorry that's okay that's not a big cursor i'm <laughs> i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a religious person fair enough surprisingly yeah. enough my private life understood we could talk about that we could talk about how um hasidic judaism has changed my gentile life <laughs> that's a true story um yeah, what's your favorite curse word? Uh, probably Big fuck. fucker? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there's, 
it's just a good old regular fuck. Um, but uh, Matt Legit, so happy Hi, Matt to Legit. have had you on the show. I've been yeah. so happy to be on this show with a true blue Aussie like yourself, mate. <laughs> yeah, mate, it's been fantastic. It was, you know, just for me, you know, it was only a couple of weeks ago that I was uh, watching Wrestling with a Disaster again. And I thought to myself, I've got to, I've got to find this guy and see if I can get him on the show to have a conversation uh, with him. Well, got the chance to. You know who we didn't had talk a fun about? Time, bro. We didn't talk about Shannon. I told you about what happened to everybody but Shannon. Yes, he. Uh, he got out of the wrestling business. He finally and did, did he? He did got out of the wrestling business, and he ended up being an announcer for sports car racing. Not like NASCAR level, but like. And he moved to Texas to become a full-time announcer at a racetrack. And then he passed away. And But he lived his dream. And it's my understanding that part of his ashes were returned to his mom in Clear Lake, the Clear Lake area. And then I think maybe part of his ashes were scattered there at the racetrack. And he was very passionate about it. We had kept in touch. You know, people would think that, like, he would be so mad about that video. But like when I explained to him, like, dude, this is gonna be like the most popular indie wrestling video of all time. He kind of <laughs> realized it. And I was like, dude, like he was like, Well, people are gonna think I'm an idiot. I'm like, Yeah, you just tell him, like, you just live and learn, you know. You learn yeah. something from it, no big deal. Nobody got hurt. He's like, Okay, yeah. And so he was really cool about it too. And uh, I was really happy that he got to do that. I was sad that he died. That was very sad to hear. Um, yeah. Yeah, he wasn't he a got bad to go person. He just made a mistake that day. He just, yeah. I mean, he was mentally retarded according to the state. You can't hold it against him. <laughs> That's it. And we did get that money, you know. That's it. Instead of Corp. Yeah, fuck you, Corp. We got the money, not you, punk. Do something. <laughs> do something. I know what you'll do. you do more pills. That's what you'll do. <laughs> Corporal Robinson calls people I know and tries to sell him jerseys that he says he wore in the ring for like $150. He's talking about a hustler, dude. Man, yeah. Yeah. Don't play that part where I said "fuck you, Corp." No, I'm just kidding. You can play it all you want. I don't care. <laughs> Not too tough, though. I love too tough Tony. He was he was genuine. Yeah, I'm a big fan of too tough. I had him on the show uh, maybe about a year and a half ago. Great guy. Yeah. Um, and and bro, uh, again, thank you so much for for being on the show with me for for teaching me a little bit about You're the Vince uh, Russo Portland wrestling. Uh, had a great time, bro. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, and I look forward to any time. Anytime you want to come on, I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you this weekend. You don't have to come. You can tell me fuck off if you want. <laughs> no worries, bro. Thank you again. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching the Insiders Edge podcast here with myself, California, interviewing my new friend here, Matt Legit. And we will see you down the road. Thank you.